Live from Chicago, I'm Paul Lisnick, sitting in for Bruce Dumont tonight with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Democrat Michael Bauer, Democrat Pat Cotter, Republican Jennifer Nevins, and Republican Jeff Howell. Our program comes to you tonight from our home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in the beautiful city of Chicago. Our toll-free lines are open for you, and they are 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you want to send Bruce an email, you can do that. His email is Bruce Dumont. At museum.tv. And if you want to tweet, you can do that. It's at Dumo, D U M O. You can find the program also online on the web at beyondthebeltway.com. And we are also now streaming on Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont's Facebook page. Welcome, everybody. I'm Paul Listick. I'm from WGN TV, where I'm the political analyst there and uh, appear on all of WGN's news shows and host. Politics tonight, every weeknight at 5.30 on CLTV and do a podcast for WGN. But it's always fun when I get to sit in for Bruce in the host chair here and talk to some great people uh, about the current day's politics. Tonight, we're actually taking a look ahead. Um, 2019, it's here. we got to deal with it. And so we want to take a look at what life is going to be like in 2019. Let me introduce this wonderful panel to you. Sitting to my left, which makes them Democrats, Michael Bauer is the co-chair of the State of Illinois Holocaust and Genocide Commission. Michael is an experienced lawyer, political activist who spent his life advocating for the Jewish, gay, and women's communities. Also on the left side of the table, Patrick Cotter. He's a former federal prosecutor, longtime white-collar defense attorney. And it's important to note his approach is all about prevention and identifying potential risks for his clients. That'll be interesting when we talk about some legal stories tonight. Sitting over on to my right on the more conservative side of the table, Jennifer Nevins is a nationalist, pro-Trump conservative activist. She attended the 2016 convention as a delegate. And Jeff Holm, he's the former president of Chicago Young Republicans. He's currently the Midwest Regional Chair of Young Republicans National Federation. Welcome all to you. And I want to spend the first part of our show getting ready for 2019. And what the significant change in 2019, of course, is Democrats will control the House. Democrats control the House. It's a new day in Washington but I'm going to start with you, Jennifer, and ask, are we getting ready for two years of gridlock? Oh, absolutely. Um, we are going to see 2019 is going to be something. It's going to make 2018 look like it was a, a little tea party. Um, it's going to be nothing. No pun intended. No pun intended, no. Um, it is going to really, um, the wheat is going to be separated from the chaff. And I mean on the Republican side. We are um, anxiously awaiting uh, what the Republican response to the Democrat chicanery is going to be. Because we know that there's going to be an incredible move to impeach Trump, to obstruct Trump, to move everything uh, in, on hyperdrive. And what are the Republicans going to do about it? That's what is of most interest to Trump supporters at this point. You know, Michael, uh, everybody does say what Jennifer said is what people are saying. Boy, the second the the Democrats are in there, man, look at ready Trump. You are impeached. I'm not sure that's happening. I'm not sure it's going to happen that he's that impeachment is necessarily the uh, the next course. I I think I agree with Jennifer that I think we're going to see a great deal of gridlock. I think uh, 
uh, if you look at the Congress, you're going to look at the House, first of all, where Nancy Pelosi becomes Speaker once again mm-hmm. and has tight control over the caucus. So, so the, uh, Pelosi and the Democrats will push through a relatively progressive agenda. The, the interesting issue is going to be in the Senate, because Mitch McConnell has a bunch of senators up for re-election in 2020. And, you know, and people like Tom Tillis in North Carolina and Cory Gardner in Colorado already got to be sweating it out pretty badly about how much they want to be locked into Donald Trump and his agenda, whatever that may be. So the interesting thing is, how is Mitch McConnell going to play this? Because Mitch McConnell is an awfully savvy guy. Jeffrey, let me come to you with uh, Mitch McConnell having to wrestle a bit with Nancy Pelosi uh, on the other end uh, a House uh, 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 colleague uh, that he'll deal with in the Senate. But the question is, is Michael Wright? Um, are those senators over there so are going to be so concerned about 2020 that um, – It'll, it'll affect their decisions in 2019. One of my favorite memes that has come out of the, the primary and the election this, this cycle is the cocaine Mitch thing from Don Blankenship, yeah. uh, the, the failed Senate candidate in, in yes. uh, um, West Virginia. And, uh, you know, actually, um, Mitch just embraced it. He was answering his phone, cocaine Mitch, for like a week. Um, and so it's become this kind of meme. But, I mean, the thing is, you don't mess with cocaine Mitch, right? Like, um, he is a pretty savvy... Um, political strategist or tactician, I would actually call it, right? And um, all of the accomplishments, all of the legislative accomplishments, the number one thing that keeps um, reluctant Trump voters in Trump's column um, are all from Mitch McConnell, right? And um, I think that there is an an agenda that can be advanced. I think that if the Democrats go full hashtag resistance and just – try to be obstructionist and impeach and, you know, do that kind of stuff, it would actually be probably one of the worst things the Democrats could do um, because you saw what happened when the Republicans tried to impeach Clinton. I mean, yeah, they impeached him. They didn't, Lost him. They didn't, they didn't have enough for removal, so it was kind of just a futile political gesture, um, and it ended up costing them in the next election. And, uh, Patrick, a, a two-part question for you to come off of what Jeff said. Number, number one, um, he's right, which is to say the Democrats would certainly impeach if they actually took the vote. The Senate would never remove uh, if it got to them. So you can address that. But secondly, because you are our um, federal prosecutor expert here today, we're going to talk about Mueller separately a bit later in the show. But the question is, it's the unknown. As we sit here now and we, we talk about 2019 getting, any way, uh, getting underway, that Mueller report looms. So how does that play out as 2019 gets underway? Well, I, I'd like to think that somewhere in the discussion here and nationally about impeachment, there was a few moments spared to thinking about what are the legal basis for that uh, before we rush to the political issue. Um, and I don't know that the legal basis has been made, and that's where the Mueller report comes in. And it also... Uh, I think could be affected by the Democratic House because, of course, now they have the ability to start investigations. And this is one Democrat who hopes they don't. I I really don't. I I, I wish they would stay out of the way and let Mueller do his job. And let's see what he comes up with. But I think it's premature and, and frankly, wrong uh, to presume that a basis for impeachment lies at this point. It's just speculation. I mean, I understand there's a lot of evidence floating around, and, and I, I'm a good lawyer. I could make the argument for or against it. But the point is, I hope that um, cooler heads prevail. I hope they let Mueller finish his work. Let's see what he comes up with. And then, if it's justified. 
And with those comments, Let's I'm going to hold off the Mueller. I know everybody's like ready to jump in on the Mueller thing. Sure. We're going to do it. We're going to do it a little bit later. All right. Okay. So let me just hold you off on that. Sure. Uh, but Michael, let me come back to you because what we are dealing with now is a government shutdown. Right. right? About twenty five percent of the government. Right. And, and and the question is, who owns it? Who's going to own it? When does it end? It's crystal ball time. But um, there are those who say the president owns it because he said he would own it. And there's others that would say, but if you wait some more days, some more weeks, and Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats own it. Well. I mean, if you believe, like I do, that a picture and a video is worth a thousand words, the Democrats are going to play on a loop Donald Trump sitting in his meeting with Schumer and Pelosi saying, I'm going to shut down the government and I'm going to own it. The Democrats are not. Mm-hmm. Right. And how how and why he said that is not is not for me to understand. The reality is it's his shutdown. And and I expect Pelosi is going to pass legislation on Thursday. To, to probably open up the government. Maybe uh, appropriations for six of the bills will go through and uh, CR for the seventh. All right, we're going to see what happens and we're going to continue this conversation. But first, we've got a break. For the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California, a day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining. If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. Welcome back to Beyond the Beltway. I'm WGN-TV's Paul Lisnick. I'm in for Bruce Dumont this evening with a great panel of folks. We're talking about uh, the year ahead. Not the year in review, but the year ahead and dealing with some of the things that we are going to deal with. On the Democratic side, we're talking with Michael Bauer and Pat Cotter. On the Republican side, we've got Jennifer Nevins and Jeff Home. And uh, let me come to you, Jennifer. Before the break, we were talking about the shutdown, who's going to own it. And uh, uh, Michael told us what he thinks. You had your own view on it. I think, first of all, I don't mind that Trump said that he was going to own the shutdown. I know you said, you know, why would, uh, Michael said, why would, you know, he say that shutdown is mine? If you understand Trump's base, um, the fact that he is actually standing firm on this when every other Republican has kind of gone near the shutdown and then backed away from it, the fact that Trump is saying, no, I'm going to own it, I'm going to stand here, I'm going to do it, that was um, really a good shot in the arm. Um, you know, 2020 is approaching, and this is the kind of rhetoric and the kind of action that Trump supporters uh, welcome. And as far as who's going to own it, though, in the minds of the American people, I think that that's probably going to be uh, more uh, split down the middle. Um, as time goes by, because there is, quote, blame, if we want to say that on both sides of the aisle, as far as who's not compromising and who's not coming to the table. And, Pat, and look, a lot of people, you know, will say regardless of who owns it, how do you get it fixed? You, and, and regardless of the side of the aisle you're on, President Trump is a, a master at working public viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And so we went from build the wall, which Mexico was supposed to pay for, but that, that's out the door. So we're going to build the wall. And now it's metal slats. It's all these other things. And now as I hear um, other 
Trump administration spokespeople, you know, they're sort of like, he's talking about border security. Get this wall thing out of your head. It's all about border security. And pretty soon, we'll talk to Jeff in a moment, but pretty soon I'm guessing people just go, yeah, it's about border security. Where did this wall thing come from? Yeah, well, reminds me of something we criminal defense attorneys do. You know, we, we start out, he didn't do it. And if he did it, it was self-defense. And if it wasn't self-defense, he was crazy. Uh, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so let him go for that reason. Yeah, so, I mean, it's the same uh, strategy. I, you know, I, I would hope that at some point somebody would notice that this is no way to run a government. As the president of the United States, I think real, it's got to be very high on the list of basic things he's supposed to do. Keep the government going. And he's taken a strategy which is frustrating that. And that's not good. And I think, of course, the political considerations are there. And I think Jennifer's right. This may play very well for his base. But it's terrible government. It's terrible governing. And he and the Democrats at some point have to realize that. This is not doing the job. The basic job is keep the government going. There are people who do things we need done hundreds of thousands of them, and they're out there, and they need to be paid, and yeah, we need only, to do those things. Only, so get that done. Only about 25% of the government is actually shut down. So all of these critical services, right. these are still things going on, right? So, A, it shows you how much of the government is actually discretionary spending, right, which is a quarter of it, which is – you'd think that that number would be a lot larger, right? Um, and B, in 2009, Chuck Schumer was saying how we need a secure fence at the southern border. He's saying that um, illegal immigration is wrong. This is a quote from Schumer. I mean, he hasn't explained any reason why he changed his position. And I think that um, that inconsistency is something that Trump is going to continue to point out. I, I think you're wrong. I think that the idea that only 25 percent of the government is shut down is that's not true. You have TSA is still doing the job. They're not getting paid. You've got the SEC. You've got the U.S. Attorney's Office. They're not getting paid. Now, they've been told they've, been told they're going to get paid someday, maybe, if Congress does it. But to ask thousands of people, government employees, to work without pay, to tell them that they can't plan on whether they're going to get a paycheck next time around, that's wrong. That's simp- if this was any business, sure, if this was any business— and this was the CEO had brought us to this state. Except the government would, doesn't function like We would like throw that. him out. The government and everybody doesn't function would agree. like that, right? This is, this is a modern fiction, right, is that the president is the CEO, right? Congress is in charge. He that ran is, as that the is, CEO. That, that was the his reason, selling point. That is the reason that Article I is about the legislative body, not about the presidency. The presidency is not supposed to be this central figure like the prime minister. That's not how it works. Financing the government is done through acts of Congress. The president has literally no say in an act of Congress until it gets to his desk, right? He can try and shape the agenda, but if Congress is not going to actually finance the government, it is not the president's fault. Well, Michael, the president has certainly done enough with his pen and his phone, as President Obama used to say, through executive order. Uh, For Republicans, they didn't like it when Obama did it, but it seems to be fine under the president. Well, let's look at what's happened the last few weeks. Paul Ryan's the Republican Speaker, Paul Ryan, you know, passed uh, a uh, uh, appropriations bill in, in the House. Um, Mitch McConnell, the Republican Majority Leader in the Senate, passed something different in the Senate. 
the two yeah, of them are, the are not able to agree on what they what they want. So they can't even the two Republican leaders can't even send something to the president for whether he's going to sign it or veto it. Well, and that is the malpractice of the Republican Party. I mean, I, I could spend all night on that as far as how um, our agenda, the Trump agenda, the Trump, the American people. Uh, writ large are not being served by the Republican Party. But you know what? Here we have this shutdown situation. It isn't just Trump. Well, Trump is not doing this, therefore the government shut down. There are two parties that are involved here. Trump has laid something out. He wants $5 billion for that wall. It's a small piece of what he has wanted for that wall. How he won his election was through the wall. The Democrats have given money for the wall, $2.3 million per mile for 700 miles of a wall, what they're calling a fence that was put up from the 20, from in 2013. This was constructed. Nancy Pelosi and other Democrats voted for that. Okay, Now she's saying that the wall is immoral. Right. It's an immoral thing. Well, if it's so damned immoral, then what you really need to do is knock down that 700 miles of fencing or wall or barrier or whatever we want to call it. It's really disingenuous here. We want five billion dollars. They're saying no. This is the situation we're at now. Trump wants to take responsibility for the shutdown. He can, but the fact is we're not holding the, Repo- the Democrats hostage. They can come to the negotiating table. Jennifer, I want to stay with, I've got to stay with you for one, one last follow-up question to that, which is every Democrat you see on any of the political cable shows always says, what happened to Mexico paying for the wall? But it's the Democrats who raised the question. So here you are, mm-hmm. big Trump supporter. Right. What happened to Mexico paying for the wall? The Why Mexico is that just not mattering The Mexico paying for the anymore? wall was never going to be a check in the mail. I mean, that was kind of a joke. Always oh, going to. It was a know, joke. Well, well, Mexico was never going to hand over a check for the wall. It was going to come through sending their reparation, their payments back from the Mexican people working here, sending their remittances back to their country. It was Who never going to come. Where did, that come, where did that theory come that from? That has always been. I mean, Trump has talked at, at, at length about that, even in debates. When people come to work here and they send money back to Mexico, there was going to be a tax on that. It was never going to be that the president of Mexico said, here is your your whatever million, billion dollar check. It was a little more nuanced than that. Let me just get you a must, watch, so you Michael, must have watched different Trump rallies than I did because <laughs> I kept watching these Trump rallies where Trump was very proud with the microphone and saying, and we're going to build that wall. Mm-hmm. And he'd take his microphone and point it to the audience and say, and who's going to pay for it? Absolutely. Mexico. And that it was a is, simple and answer and right. a simple statement. Because it's a simple, again, this goes to how Trump words things. It's I didn't hear anything simple, nuanced whatsoever. Well, and when Trump talks, oftentimes... For good or for bad, there's not a lot of nuance there. Yes. Okay. yes. But that did not mean, I don't think most rational people thought he was going to, you know, that, that uh, Vincente Fox at that time was going to be sitting there saying, oh, great, you want $25 billion? Here it is. It, 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 there was more steps removed so from in that. So in the inter- so. intervening time, there's been three different Mexican governments. We're on the third one, right? So the Fox administration was, Vincente Fox was the president right. at the time when right. Trump started campaigning. Uh, a guy named Pena, I believe, was yeah. the, the next administration. Yeah. The Obrador administration, which is the the one that just was elected and I believe hasn't been inaugurated yet, um, is actually a lot closer to Trump on immigration than either of the previous two uh, administrations have been. Um, the the plan that, that the Obrador administration has put forward called Remain in Mexico, where there's a processing um, facility that's going to be set up on the Mexican side of the, the border where asylees can make claims 
and can wait until the asylum claim is is deemed to be um, I, credible or I, I forget what the actual word is there accepted you know or denied right until they they well, adjudicate it's until it. it's ruled upon until adjudicated. it's until it's adjudicated that's probably the best word for it um, so I mean it might be something that that we actually would see some more joint cooperation especially with the signals that the Obrador administration is making right now but well, we're and still their plan not would be getting promising if it was lawful but unfortunately the Refugee Act of 1980 provides that any person seeking political asylum can present themselves at a U.S. port of entry and, as a result, have their application taken and stay in the United States until it's adjudicated. I'm sorry, but Trump's plan in Mexico for political asylum applicants is not lawful. He can't just pick and choose what laws he wants to enforce, what portions of laws he wants to enforce. So not everybody who comes to the border is an asylum claim. Let me make a basic point here. If the president wants something as important as a wall, which he says is very, very important, the right way to do it in a rational, good-running government is he goes to Congress, and he has his people in his party, and we have a debate, and our representatives vote on it as they voted on things like Obamacare, etc. That's what you do. What happened here is something I'm very familiar with from having spent 10 years prosecuting the mafia in New York. It's blackmail. He comes along. He says, I won't sign any appropriation. I will hold every government employee and the people they serve hostage until you give me the wall. Now, even if I thought the wall was a great idea, that's no way to run a government. We have a representative government. He should come to the people through their representatives and say, I need $5 billion for this wall. Here's Mitch. Here's Paul Ryan. Here's my guys. They'll explain to you why, and we would have a national debate. This is not good I think it's called a bully pulpit. And if if we're going to use your analogy, what we're supposed to – and is that that not the way – is that not the way that this game, and it is a game, works? Did all those Republicans who gave him the funding for that wall – and they did – pass it. Nancy Pelosi said he didn't have the votes. Yes, he did. They were all held hostage by Donald Trump. He's really the Democrats give Trump such amazing superpowers. I don't think Americans are so stupid that they don't see that Donald Trump is extorting the country. Okay. I mean, now, if you think that Americans word. are so stupid that they don't see and coming it, from a, coming from a prosecutor, yeah, as a prosecutor, want to call it something else, that's fine. All right. Well, People what, what we know stupid. is, as I said, the ball game may change in 2019 with the Mueller investigation. We're going to turn to that when we come back. We'll take your phone calls at 1-800-723-8289. You are watching Beyond the Beltway. We'll be right back. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida. So why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sit cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe, catch fresh fish for dinner, even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Welcome back to Beyond the Beltway. I'm Paul Listick in for Bruce Dumont, and we are talking about the year ahead 
We're going to turn to the Mueller controversy or the Mueller case coming up. Joining me again to talk about this, Democrats Michael Bauer and Pat Cotter and Republicans Jennifer Nevins and Jeff Halm. Pat, I'm going to come to you because you are the seasoned prosecutor at this table and criminal defense lawyer as well. You said during the first half hour of the show that, you know, we don't know what's going on. There might be nothing there, so maybe there's nothing to talk about with the Mueller investigation. Well, no, there's things to talk about. I mean, he's, he's brought a number of indictments. He's got a number of convictions. But it's a mistake, I think, for people to pretend that they know what he ultimately will find, specifically, I think, about President Trump and whether he has any culpability, involvement, et cetera. I just think it's unfair, uh, frankly, to President Trump to make that assumption uh, one way or the other. Uh, we don't know. Uh, prosecutors are pretty uh, jealous about protecting the secrecy of grand juries. So uh, I could absolutely understand why Mr. Mueller uh, would not want people speculating about what he's going to find. And he may f- come back with a report that will say certain people, he has evidence certain people did certain things, but he may say, I don't have enough evidence to make other accusations. I don't know, but neither does anybody else except Mr. Mueller and his team. Well, and Jeff, let me, let me ask you. So the Republicans say it's a witch hunt. It's a witch hunt. There have been uh, – Congressman Mike Quigley was on my show one night and said, well, if it's a witch hunt, they bag several witches already. Um, I don't know that that's is there, true. Given the fact that we don't know – well, they've indicted people, right? Sure. Uh, so my, my question people. is, is this just a witch hunt or it, where there's smoke, there has been some fire? I mean, I think the longer this drags on without reaching its conclusion, the more people are skeptical of it. They've spent somewhere in the neighborhood of $40 million on it so far, which in the grand scheme of things is not a ton of money to the um, – to the American government, but it is a lot of money to most American people, right? And most of even these indictments, these are process crimes, right, which are things that happen after the investigation has has begun, things like making false statements to the FBI, which I believe are the only convictions that have happened to Manafort, Papadopoulos, and um, no. um, no, what's his face? You're, you're absolutely wrong. These are felonies. These are not process crimes. These are process these are, crimes. These are felonies that people go to prison for. I know. It includes violations of the Foreign Corrupt Practice Act and of registration as a foreign agent. These are not just lies. And also, lies are some of the most important prosecutions we bring because what people lie about is what tells us what's important. This was supposed to be a counterintelligence investigation about Russia tampering with the election. And according to uh, a YouGov poll, something like uh, 67% of Democrats believe that Russia changed vote tallies, which is insane, right? There's no evidence that that ever happened. And the longer this drags on, this starts to look like a fishing expedition where it's you show me the man and I will find the crime. Just to be clear, this is not a long investigation. Uh, I have investigated single individuals, and it's taken three years. It does, these, this is not a long time for a federal investigation. Secondly, I really want to emphasize this notion that somehow I don't even know what a process crime is. I've never heard that. I've only been doing this 36 years. But these are felonies. These are serious felonies. They involve a lot of things. The lies, for instance, uh, Mr. Flynn's lie is about talking to the Russian ambassador about sanctions. As the investigation is about Russian interference in our election process. And that covers a lot of ground, including people who lie about talking to the ambassador about sanctions. So the idea that somehow as that they're a, off the rails is wrong. As it's a just prosecutor, not I, true. I find it surprising that you're willing to take advantage of the ignorance of the a normal American voter in that um, making a false statement means that you said something and then you said something different. It's not necessarily a lie. 
right? Just because he made a false statement, because he didn't remember or anything like that. If you look at all the stuff surrounding the Flynn case with Comey bragging about how he took advantage of the disarray of um, the uh, incoming Trump administration by not clearing the interview with the White House counsel, which he said he would have done under any other administration, this starts to look petty and vindictive and not this high-minded... I'm sorry. My integrity has just been attacked, and I'm going to correct it. You are absolutely wrong when you define a false statement as having said two different things. If you make an honest mistake, you are not guilty of a 1001 violation. The people who pled guilty have pled guilty to knowingly telling a false statement to a government official in an official capacity. Well, Je- it is not. I've got to bring, oh, got to bring everybody people, else in. Jennifer, let me come to you. Look, these so are people. They have pled guilty. Yeah. They are seeing jail time. Right. Right. How do you call you it? Know what? Here's, Nothing here's, here. here's what I say about this. And I think what? how many people here are lawyers? At least three. Yeah, three of us. Okay. And I'm not. So anytime I, I comment on something, it's you, you kind of put yourself in the spot of somebody saying, well, I, I quibble with what you're saying. Let's take a step back just for a moment, though, and look at Papadopoulos, who, what, did he get 14 days? We've got Michael Flynn there suggesting, Comey, that he has no time. He's not going right. to – they don't want him to serve any time. Just those two people alone, how many months were spent trying to bag these two people, and it comes up to be what? You look at what they're charged with, and it really, to the American people, maybe not a legal mind, but to the American people, looks like a bunch of – of nothing. And as far as lying goes, I love it when I hear Democrats and liberals, progressives and whomever else, establishment Republicans, talk about what, how terrible lying to the FBI is. Yeah, lying to the FBI is a bad thing. So why did Hillary lie to the FBI when she said she only used one device to communicate? And Patrick, it's something okay. you have to don't know. Wait a minute. No, Wait. hold on. Hold on. Hold on. But that's the thing. It is wrong to lie to the FBI. And Hillary Clinton lied to the FBI. And Comey even said that she said mis, uh, misstatements to the FBI several times. So if contrast, we are going to say that lying is a terrible offense to the FBI, then I want to know, and American people want to know why we have such a double standard. So let me, come to my, let, me okay. let Michael chime in on this. It all comes okay. back to Hillary. So, so General Flynn ended up pleading guilty to one count of lying. Yep. All right? Now, I don't know about you. But I got through law school reading Agatha Christie novels. So I'm into these whodunits. And, I, and, and these whodunits, you got to get to the last chapter mm-hmm. to figure out because you get a lot of <laughs> a, a confusing information along the Spoiler way. Spoiler alert. It was just I want to know what Michael Flynn has told the special counsel's office mm-hmm. and, and that they ended up only charging him with one crime. Maybe he didn't tell him anything else. That's I all agree. they could find him on. I Maybe agree. he told them a ton of stuff. I agree. Aren't you curious? Aren't you curious what I'm, Maria... I would Ma- like to wait, know... Wait, 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 Aren't you interested in what Maria Butina has been telling the special counsel's office? I'm fascinated by the issue. Now, that all being said, let's go back to our basic issue because we're talking about possible impeachment, all right? Impeachment in the Constitution is defined as violation of high crime... Of, high crimes and misdemeanors, or commission of high crimes and misdemeanors. Right. To me, I think that's a very, very high bar that one has to overcome to overturn the will of the people in an election. Right. Right? Right now, the only thing definitive that we may have regarding the president is the violation of some uh, uh, federal campaign laws. Mm-hmm. Even if that's found that he did violate the federal campaign laws, I personally don't think that that is a high crime and misdemeanor. I also don't think lying under oath about an extramarital affair should have been a high crime and misdemeanor warranting an impeachment. But I'm interested to find out if there was actual collusion, 
if, if the president had any involvement, it, what General Flynn's going to say, what Paul Manafort's going to say, what Maria Bettina's going to say, I want to know. Mm-hmm. I, I think all I, of us I, 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 I want to ask Pat as a former prosecutor. You know, we, again, a lot of analysts are saying you can't indict a sitting president. It's actually more DOJ policy it than is. it is. It's not in the Constitution. It's, it, so in the end, if, if, in fact, people look and say, okay, he'll never get impeached, which is a political process, not a legal process. Right. Absolutely. But, right. but if Mueller were to conclude in his report that laws were violated, ultimately, what happens with DOJ decisions? Well, I think it's important to point out that I don't expect that Mr. Mueller is going to, uh, in his report, have any opinion one way or the other about whether anybody should be impeached. It has nothing. That's not his mandate. His mandate is to investigate possible interference in our election, and he will state the facts. And then if a political process wants to use those for some purpose, that's fine. But I don't think he's going to have an opinion about whether anybody should be impeached. Uh, As far as the government's policy, DOJ policy is, since 1976, that sitting presidents can't be uh, criminally charged while they're in office. I don't see any reason to believe that Mr. Mueller is going to recommend anything different than that. I think he's going to write a report. It's going to say, this is what I found. The world can do with it what they will. But it's not his job to decide whether the president should be impeached right, or right. not. Do you think the report gets killed? I mean, all, all the whether it's um, Whitaker or uh, his, his successor, all they have to do is take that report and not disclose it. They will be the attorney general, they, one of them. They have, the, the, the attorney general has the right with any report done by any prosecutor to not re- disclose it. And that happens sometimes, particularly if the report has a lot of damaging information about somebody, but does not include evidence which appears to rise to the level sufficient to bring a criminal charge. It would be seen as an abuse of the system to release that report Jennifer, because the person wouldn't have a chance to defend themselves. Should the report be made public? I don't know what it's going to say. Nobody knows. Mm-hmm. Let's just say it says some bad yeah. things about the president. Right. Should it be public? Do you want to hear it? Yeah, well, I think it's going to have to be released because if it doesn't get released, yeah. then it just becomes another sideshow and then the speculation could be worse than what is actually in the report. So, yes, I do think that the report should be released. Um, I know that Trump will have his attorneys at the ready, ready to, you know, uh, dismantle it, decipher it, and and we'll go from there. I just bring the report already. Let's get the show on the road, and let's move forward. I'm somewhat conflicted because if this is truly a counterintelligence investigation, then making certain information public about sources and methods – um, would actually give Russia more information about how we protect our uh, oh, there would the be redactions. There would be redactions in the right. report. Right. But one so, thing I think also, if I can put the lawyer head on with, with, with my colleagues over here, this whole notion that you know they've they've uh, you know they were charged with did Russia do anything in our election? They're going into the uh, into these other directions. That's within line of what Mueller is charged to do. I mean, Bill Clinton was not impeached over Whitewater. He was impeached over something about a lie he did much later. It nothing to do with Whitewater. Prosecutors uh, prosecutors often encounter evidence of crimes other than what they were originally expecting to find. Now, sometimes they refer that away. I think that's what happened with Michael Cohen in New York because they say, this is too far afield. We can't draw the line between that and our Russia investigation. Other times, if they feel that there is a line, they continue to do it. They also sometimes pursue unrelated criminal charges against people to get a witness. All right. We're going to take another break. And, uh, Ron, I see you are holding for us. I see your topic, too. We're getting to that. This is Beyond the Beltway. We'll be right back. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. 
just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton, Los Angeles, Universal City. At HiltonUniversal.com, they let you be the star in Hollywood. We're back on Beyond the Beltway. I'm Paul Lesnick in for Bruce Dumont. And we were talking about the Mueller investigation. We're going to move on from that. But, uh, Michael, there was something you wanted to say. I just want to say I recognize that there's many Democrats who are anxious for Donald Trump to be impeached and convicted of impeachment, removed from office. Um, I actually hope that when the Mueller investigation is concluded and the report is issued publicly, that it shows that the president was not involved in any criminal enterprise. Because if it shows differently, if there is a smoking gun or smoking guns, it will be a devastating effect on this country. It will have a devastating effect on our political climate. It'll have a devastating effect on our economy. I would just assume Donald Trump's future be determined in the 2020 election. All right. Well, since you talked about the economy, let's use that as a bridge to start talking about the economy. Uh, Republicans, look at how great everything's going. Democrats aren't so certain. It's been a shaky period of time, certainly, in the economy lately. Uh, But we're going to start off with, I'm going to let Ron bring our caller in here. Ron from Sacramento. He's listening to us on KTKZ. Ron, you're not so sure about this economy in 2019. Yeah, I I mean... uh President Trump has done uh, a you know a heroic job in, in improving the economy from where it was in the face of 24/7 relentless uh, attacks from the unhinged uh, left. But it seems like uh, I mean uh, you know it seems like you know, the Fed is trying to do their best there to to destabilize. After eight years, they coddled Obama there. Now this continual rise in uh, interest rates is spoken. The, the you know the Wall Street and I think eventually that we have to get back to a, the old you know the old fashioned way of the gold back uh, situation and I really think Powell uh, is the, the Fed let's face it it's privately owned it's it's uh, a parasitical entity Powell needs to, at a minimum Jerome Powell needs to resign or get fired walk the plank or maybe uh, uh, or maybe get uh, hung by the neck for, for treason. I think he's up there with Alger Hess and Jonathan Pollard, and we really need to look into this whole farcical. All right, Ron. Thank, thank you for that. I'm going to start with a Democrat response here because, you know, one of the things that President Trump has done, very different from any of his predecessors, is he's, he's taken on the Fed. It's his own appointee, right. Uh, right. is Jay Powell. But it, so, but, and he's taken him on, and many would say it's supposed to be independent. President should kind of stay out of it. President Obama, whatever Janet Yellen did, Janet Yellen did, and the market rode. Well, what do you think? But, but it looks like our, our caller there, Ron, he says uh, the president sounds like he's saying the president's right to go after Jay Powell. Well, I think – I think it's a bad idea for the economy to go after Jay Powell. If the president thinks that the Fed's doing something wrong, I, I see no problem with the president having communications with the Fed. I, I, I see no problem with the president uh, having a position on the economy and even on interest rates. But I think it's not good for the economy, for the, the market, and, and for the world to see our president personally criticizing on uh, the head of the fa- yeah. anywhere, but you're right. Twitter is even worse. But I mean, but but I think it's a bad idea. It's just not 
good government. Well, and it has you know the effect of when he tweets about how they shouldn't be raising interest rates, it has the effect of guaranteeing they will raise interest rates because the Fed needs to maintain that independence. That, well, it's uh, a no-win really idea for them. of independence. Either they right? go against the president or they don't, and then they're just then they're called their puppets, right? So I'm not sure. Jay, I'm not sure he's in a in a win situation. Let's also understand that Jay Powell himself is not the sole decision maker. Right. Right. There's a board of governors right. of the Fed. Uh, and, and the multi-member Board of Governors is the one that makes decisions as to interest rate hikes or not. So, Jennifer, let me come to you. So the economy, I mean, people have said that's one thing. No matter what else is going on, people say my 401K is doing great. It's yeah. been shaky mm-hmm. uh, over the, this last period of time. And, and here's the thing. Some analysts will say, look, recoveries generally take about 10 years. So this one began in 2008 after things kind of went down downhill um so it's sort of time for things to correct and whether we're headed towards a recession or bear market people differ but the 10-year recovery period is about over so maybe the president doesn't get the luxury of people saying i don't care about anything else i love my 401k you know i think that when you're dealing with you know um the average person um we just you know the retail sales were up 5.1 percent over the holiday season which was higher than they thought that they would be so we know people are spending there's some consumer confidence there um, we know that the jobless claims are way down. Um, so we're seeing, um, I'm not an economist, obviously, but we're seeing signs out there that people are feeling generally pretty good about what's going on. Um, so, And yes, the 403B, 401Ks, yes, they're kind of tottering around, they're moving. But most people, I would say, don't look at that on a day-by-day basis. They're kind of in it for the long haul. Unless you need to make immediate withdrawals, you know there's going to be the ups and there's going to be the downs, and people are kind of willing to, to, to kind of ride that out. But it's the immediate things like I don't have money to spend on Christmas or I don't have a job or or prices went up at the grocery store, gas prices went through the roof. None of that's happening right now, and I think that that is a net positive. For the fact, just prices, gas prices have gone up significantly. No, well, gas prices are down. A, we're we're hovering around $2 Obama a gallon. Days. Obama's days, they're yeah. up from right. there. Well, right. Actually, when Obama was elected, gas was under $2 a gallon here in, in the city of Chicago. Um, and then it went up, and now it's, right. it's come back down. It's come back down significantly yes. the last couple of months. I mean, they're not a concern. Gas prices for most people and for shipping companies, trucking and companies are is not low. a concern. Right. And, right. and that's a big factor, right. that people are working. But, Michael, let me and ask you. So th- a lot of people give the President Trump the credit for it, and that's fine. I think whoever's on, uh, whoever's term it is gets right, credit for right. it. Uh, but one of the things, again, the president seems to be doing by pointing to Jay Powell, if things do go south a little bit with regard to the economy, my guess is the president will say it's Powell, it's, it's the feds. Democrats have been excited to say, you know, if the, if the economy doesn't do good, we can take that White House back in 2020. But the truth is the president looks like he's positioning himself for such uh, approaches. Uh, he could be positioning himself, but let's not all root for a bad economy. Right. I mean, you know, the person who's in charge gets credit for a good economy or a bad economy. I'm hoping it's still a good economy in the next several years. I guess we can all agree on that, right? We all want a good economy yeah, going absolutely. forward. Absolutely. All right. Uh, that's going to bring us uh, as a wrap for this hour. Don't go anywhere. Uh, we are, if you're on television, you're watching this for the first hour. But we'll be back for those of you listening online and radio. And we'll take your calls in our second hour at 1-800-723-8289. My guest will be back with me in just a little bit. So hang in there.
If you look hard enough, go off the beaten track far enough, you'll find an America teeming with the unusual, the odd, the downright strange. I'm Will Klinger, and I'm your guide on a package tour we like to call Wild Travels. Join us on our weekly road trip to see America's most offbeat and unusual attractions. Wild Travels, available on your local PBS station. Or it darn well should be. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live. The experience. For the first time ever, get an inside look at the making of SNL. Critics nationwide are raving over 500 artifacts direct from the show. Be a part of Wayne's World, Weekend Update, and so much more. Experience all it takes to put the show together. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications at 360 North State Street in Chicago. For tickets, visit museum.tv. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida. So why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sip cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. At HiltonUniversal.com, they let you be the star in Hollywood. I'm sitting in for Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders. Pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Democrat Michael Bauer and Pat Cotter. And on the Republican side, Jennifer Nevins and Jeff Halm. Our program comes tonight from our home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago. Our toll-free lines are open for you now at one 800 723 8289. I'm going to repeat that. 1 800 723 8289. If you want to email Bruce, you can do that at brucedumont at museum.tv. 
You can tweet. It's at Dumo, D-U-M-O. And you can also find this program on our website at beyondthebeltway.com. We're also streaming on our Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont Facebook page. Well, welcome. Uh, During this hour, we're going to talk another look ahead about some domestic issues, some international issues. And towards the end of this hour, I want to talk about who takes on President Trump on the Democratic side in 2020. Going to be interesting. But let me introduce our panel to you. I should say, again, I'm Paul Listick from WGN-TV, where I host politics tonight every weeknight on CLTV and serve as the political analyst on WGN-TV and a new book out called Assume Guilt, which you might (laughs) want to check out, my first fiction effort. Joining me, Democrat Michael Bauer with an interesting career, Michael. Uh, I'm Paul, thank you. I'm involved in a number of civic and uh, political organizations. Uh, probably my most important civic activity is nonpartisan. I'm the co-chair of the State of Illinois Holocaust and Genocide Commission. I have long been involved in Holocaust and Genocide history and education, uh, and I have been uh, long involved in political activity in the uh, gay community, in the women's community, and in the Jewish community. And Pat Cotter, former prosecutor, but a lot more going on with you. Well, I'm just a working lawyer here in Chicago. <laughs> And I'm a former federal prosecutor. I was with the Strike Force and Organized Crime in New York for 10 years. And now I uh, try to make a living uh, as a defense attorney in white-collar cases. And Jennifer Nevins, a conservative nationalist. Absolutely. Means you love Trump. Yeah. No, well, I I love the Trump agenda, and and Trump goes along with that. So uh, Trumpism can exist apart from Trump. I always point that out. Um, When he deviates from that nationalist conservative uh, stance, that's when uh, his base uh, is unhappy. So it's not a cult of personality, but, yes, I am a steadfast supporter of Trump. Um, And I was for Trump when there were 17 people on that stage. Um, I am a conservative. I've long been a conservative and a member of the Republican Party, um, despite my strong misgivings with the direction the party has taken uh, in the last several years. It's interesting because I've talked to so many uh, people in our legislature who say, well, you know, Trump was not their first choice. That's right. They became a supporter in time, but you were there Absolutely. from the very beginning. Absolutely. Very given. Uh, Jeff Holm. Uh, yes, so I'm the uh, chairman of the, um, or the Midwest chairman of the Young Republican National Federation, which is a national organization of young Republican chapters. I ran the Chicago chapter for about four years. It's actually one of the larger YR organizations in the country. We have about between three and 400 members. Uh, one of those things where it's like, you know, you're a stranger in a strange land and you kind of seek each other out. Um, we actually run the spectrum from people who were, you know, Trump delegates to, um, people who are more, you know, Jeb supporters and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, but a lot of it is just about growing the organizations um, in different areas, especially states um, that will become important for battlegrounds. Mm. We do a lot of get out of the vote stuff as well. Um, Chicago is one of the chapters that travels. Um, so, you know, we went and knocked on doors for Romney, f- for Ryan, for um, congressional races in Texas. Um, obviously, this election cycle, um, you know, uh, for Trump and, and the other candidates. Um, but a lot of it is just, you know, connecting young people and being the ramp up into activism um, to get, you know, people who want kind of some, you know, careers in, in um, politics. All right. Well, let, let, let me welcome all of you and, uh, and remind our listeners, if you want to call in, 800-723-8289. We'd love when you join the conversation. Um, this segment, I want to talk about the president's domestic agenda and the domestic status of, of our country right now. And I'll start with a focus on immigration. Uh, Michael, uh, a couple of young kids uh, have died uh, yes. in the border setting. Yes. Um, the president says it's the Democrats' fault, and, uh, 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 and, and some Republicans say that as well. And the Democrats say, 
say they're under our control in our custody. We're responsible. What's your interpretation of the situation at the border and what needs to be done? Well, the Republicans love to say the Democrats want open borders because we don't want to uh, build a wall. The, the reality is we have an immigration problem in this country, and we all know we have an immigration prob- problem. And, and the key and part of our immigration problem is figuring out who's coming to this country seeking political asylum and who's coming as an economic migrant yes. and how to distinguish between the two. And, and by the way, when we talk about illegal immigration in this country, it's not just coming over the southern border. 40% of illegal immigration comes through airports that are yes. ports of entry, people overstaying their travel visas. Yep. Now, it's been two years right now, and we've done nothing about this. Uh, other than complain about it under the Trump administration. But Jennifer's going to look at me and say, well, what did we do the previous eight years under Obama? Fair point. But what we need is, I think, from my perspective, the president to propose a comprehensive immigration plan that includes what are we going to do about people overstaying their travel visas, how are we going to distinguish between political asylum applicants and economic migrants, what are we going to do about legal immigration, and what are we going to do about border safety, including do we need more CPD people, Customs and Border Patrol? Do we need drones? Do we need uh, high-tech defenses? I mean, it's got to be a comprehensive problem, and we have nothing, so we're just yelling at each other. Jennifer, you don't have to respond in that way because you already gave your response. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but of course, what Michael is talking about is there needs to be a comprehensive answer here in, so, mm-hmm. in, a, in, in a variety of ways. Yes. I know you agree with that. Yes. But there seems to be so much concentration on this concept of a wall. You know what? Let's talk about the wall for a minute and how that is part of a comprehensive policy. And Trump has talked about other measures, other border security uh, measures, um, adding more ICE agents. He's, he's talked about things other than that. But when you don't have a wall or a fence or a barrier or whatever people want to call it, to me, it's akin to me opening up my door to my house, not having any locks or barriers on it, letting people come in, and then having all the tools at my disposal to deal with the problem that came in the front door. And to me, the simplest way is uh, to deal with this problem is let's try to prevent much of the problem from entering in the first place, have an orderly asylum process. And, but if you could think that we're going to get this without having a wall, which is what Nancy Pelosi and company want, that is not being fair and it's not being honest. Pat about Cotter, how hopeful are you that, that something happens along this front in the next two years? Something intelligent? Not very hopeful. Hopeful at all. Uh, we, we need to have a democratic process to deal with what we all agree is a huge problem. But we don't have that. We don't have a debate. We don't put out ideas. We don't debate ideas. We demand walls. We accuse the other side of things the other side doesn't believe or want or has ever even asked for, like open borders. We don't get anywhere. This is not the way to run any organization, and it's certainly not the way to run a country. Jeff Helm, uh, Lindsey Graham recently said, Everybody's fault, Democrats and Republicans. Yeah, I mean, it takes two to tango here, right? Um, You know, famously, the Democrats, when they had complete control of the uh, presidency in both chambers of the uh, Congress in 2008, did nothing on immigration, even though that was a campaign promise. And the cynic in me makes me believe that this is just a wedge issue that people want to keep around um, to to tar the other side with. As it pertains to the thing you brought up with the the two children that died in the custody of the, the Border Patrol, um, they showed up and were given like 
medical. They, they hadn't. One girl hadn't been given water there's, in there's seven some, days. And there's some question as to what kind the, of care by the was person given. That was bringing. But for now, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with Beyond the Beltway. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. Welcome back to Beyond the Beltway. I'm Paul Listick in for Bruce Dumont. We're talking about a look ahead in 2019 under the Trump administration, what it means for the country with the Democrats in control of the House on a variety of issues. Joining me, Democrats Michael Bauer and Pat Cotter and Republicans Jennifer Nevins and Jeff Halm. Uh, we've been talking about the immigration issue and how, it, how that's handled. We're going to talk about some other things, but um, I encourage people to call in at 1-800-723-8289. And Eduardo is on the line. He's in Chicago listening at WCGO. Uh, Eduardo, your view is the president's going to have to settle this deal with the parties? Yes. Well, I was telling your screener that uh, I think what is going to happen, he's going to get like uh, some money for maybe a thousand mile wall, and he's going to be getting uh, money for more border agents. But um, that's this uh, border wall is a base thing. And when you go up for reelection, you have to bag Democrats and independents. And this wall thing is a base thing. So he's going to prop up the economy. That's going to be the winning issue for him. All right, Eduardo, thank you. Eduardo, I think you're absolutely right. This is him appealing to the base. The difficulty he has right now is demographically in this country, about 30 to 35% of voters are Republican, about 35 to 40% are Democrats, about 25% are independents. So this is playing well with his base, but there is, that's a relatively smaller number. It's playing extremely poorly with Democrats, and by three to two, it's playing poorly with independents. So he loses this battle. But, you know, we hear this, but then we know that this was a leitmotif of Trump's campaign in the first place and that that base that we talk about, it's not the traditional Republican base. That base was expanded to include a lot of Democrats, a lot of trade yes. unionists, yes. a lot of independents, uh, a lot of evangelicals that ordinarily wouldn't have given Trump the time of day. And so when you talk about him backing off of that wall position, um, that would be political suicide for him because leaving the Democrats and the independents alone who don't want the wall, and I don't submit right. to you that all independents don't no, want I the didn't wall. No, I didn't say they didn't. Right, but I that said three proportion, to two. if he doesn't have his base with him, we know he has nothing and he goes nowhere. Yeah, look so at what happened to Rauner. It's absolutely. And Rauner, I know this is a national show, but that's a really <laughs> good case in point. You cannot diss your base and hope to get anywhere. The Republican governor of Illinois who lost in his re-election. Spectacular flame out. Yeah, yes. and so, you know, Jimmy <laughs> uh, Ives would probably talk about that. race was called right. like 30 minutes after the polls closed. That's right. So the question <laughs> at this point is sort of like who has the answer? Do we wait for the president and his colleagues to have the answer? Do we wait for Democrats? Uh, Rob is on the phone from Toms River, New Jersey. Rob, you think it's the Democrats that ought to come up with something? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, you know, 
unless you talk about Nancy and Chuck, and they say the wall's immoral. Well, why can't they come up with something that they feel is moral? They just say no, and you know you may not agree with the president. That's fine, but come up with your own solution and just instead of saying he's wrong and that's it, and he's got to come up with something else. Why can't they come up with ideas? I don't I think I would agree with that. I don't understand why the uh, Democrats need to come up with a proposal. I think Lindsey Graham, after he left lunch with the president, had his press conference and 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 made comments about where he thinks the president is at. But we haven't heard the president say where he's at. I think it's incumbent upon the president to, to say, this is what I'm willing to why do. Incumbent, why is it incumbent upon a president? Because can't he's the president Democrats of the United States. People, he's the chief executive the people, officer. That's a lame excuse. Why can't you come up with your own ideas? Don't you have the ability to think and come up with an idea? That's why he's the CEO of the wait, country. You, you, but that's, that's not a, a true analogy. Excuse. That's a great excuse, okay? Come up with your own idea. All right, Rob. Well, I first of all, by the way, Nancy, apparently when the Democrats are back, they do plan. They, one of the things they plan to do is very quickly pass the, uh, the, the bill that already passed the Senate and send it back to the Senate first because right. it's a new Congress and then send it on to the president, Jeff. So that is the Democrats taking the first step potentially. I mean, again, you know, Chuck Schumer in 2009 said we need a secure, secure fence at the southern border. He said illegal immigration is wrong. That is an actual quote from Chuck Schumer. And yet nine years later, all of a sudden it's no, this is immoral and, and we can't have, you know, a, a, a border um, wall or a border. You recognize the border wall is totally impractical from a legal perspective because let's just use the Texas border with Mexico, twelve hundred mile border. Sure, eleven hundred of those twelve hundred miles is land that is privately owned by different landowners. For the government, federal government, to want to build a let me finish to want to build a border wall along those eleven hundred miles, it has to take. A, a legal action of sure, eminent, eminent domain, domain sure. against every single property owner, sure. and they and le- eminent domain cases normally take six to eight years to resolve. So, and, and by the way, you flood the courts with eminent domain right. cases. And you're talking about eight to ten, twelve years. Listen, I agree with Ain't you. Ain't gonna happen. I, I agree with the statements you made earlier that the wall is only part of the one of the tools in the toolbox as re, as it pertains to border security. Okay. I think that there are parts of the the border that are ge- that are impassable. And they don't need, you know, you don't actually need to put a fence up, right? However, in places where there's high population, like what we saw in, what was at San Diego, where, um, at the, or I'm sorry, at the southern border, where um, groups of, like, hundreds of, of migrants stormed the the defensive structures, like, that's a place where a wall makes sense, right? I believe that, I agree with you that there are electronic surveillance and there's other ways that we can do it. And this is just, it's all a distillation into just saying the wall as a as a shorthand for border security. I've I've said that on the show for probably going on a year. You know, Pat, as a, as a lawyer, one of the things you know lawyers do is they have to negotiate, right, and strike a deal. And I sort of wonder when Lindsey Graham held that recent press conference where he had lunch with the president and said, here are some possibilities. One of the possibilities was it was everything old is new again, which is maybe now the president will take $5 billion and – Give the give Democrats what they want on DACA. They were willing to give the president twenty five billion dollars for a DACA deal. Maybe the Democrats are simply holding out to get something for DACA. Well, maybe, but but I, I I'd point this out. I I do do a lot of negotiation. That's what all lawyers do. I I do a lot of it. And the way you do a negotiation is not by quoting people back to them what they said 
eight years ago or ten years ago, and it's not by making demands. It's by trying to find common ground. And I don't think there's anybody in Congress, I don't think there's anybody in Congress who has ever said or will ever say illegal immigration is a good thing and we ought to encourage it. We all agree it's wrong. We all agree it's a problem. Right. And instead of the parties coming together and saying, let's put all of our ideas on the table, let's see what works, what doesn't, and then let's see what we can each live with, instead we get into this tit-for-tat. And there's plenty of blame to go around, but it is not helpful to be quoting each other, to be quoting President Trump or to something he said at a rally three years ago or something that Chuck Schumer said some apparently, uh, I don't know. Would you like to see the video? I believe you, <laughs> but it was 10 years ago. I mean, are we going to – and then we – so you play that tape, and then we'll play Trump at his rally saying Mexico's going to play. And you know what? Nothing gets done. Right. And, and this know. is not how you negotiate. If I'm, you're a smart negotiator, you say, look, forget what you said before. We're here to solve a problem. And that's what we ought to be doing with immigration. So, Jennifer, even though I, you agree with the Trump agenda, but at the same time, the president has to – you have to give – a deal means – a compromise means yeah. each side is getting something. Absolutely. The Democrats have to get something out of this. That's right. And the Democrats – first of all, Trump wanted 40 – what, in excess of $40 billion for the wall. We're talking about a small piece of that is what he wants. Okay, he's willing to deal on DACA, he's, which a lot of his base do- – well, he's actually him not to willing do. to deal on DACA. He's willing, he, he said is, he was, and yeah. then he backed out. Let's have a closed-door meeting with, with the two sides, which isn't taking place. Okay. Neither, that has not happened yet. But, you know, i got to say something right now. And no disrespect to my friends who are intellectually honest people that I'm sitting with right now. However, I will say that it is a laugh riot to me to hear Democrats throw up excuses that we can't have a wall when they base it on morality, which is something that Nancy Pelosi likes to do, and budgetary constraints. That's always a riot to me, right. too, that it doesn't fit into the budget we're talking about five billion, which is nothing when we're talking about a government expenditure. Really, I hate to say it, but I really believe it's true, and maybe this marks me as some kind of extremist on this panel, and that's okay. I do not think that most Democrats, most Democrat apparatchiks, want an honest resolution to the situation on the border. Jen Palmieri, who was a Hillary Clinton, one of her big people, WikiLeaks intercepted an email in which she said the resolution to the immigration problem is not something that we want because it doesn't position us right. well for 2020. So we know that blue states, you know, when populations change and demographics change, political situation in those states change as well. So I do not believe that Democrats are totally on board with wanting an honest situation. Let me, solution let me try to putting a slightly different spin, from my perspective at least, okay. as a passionate liberal Democrat. A border wall to me is both impractical and ineffective as a, and is a 1950s solution to a 2018 problem. It's a 1650 so, solution. Okay. Uh, and, and I would say, I would say too, I mean, ask the Chinese how that wall worked out. The, the Mongols ruled China for the next 800 years. So, I mean, walls are stupid. Uh, George S. Patton said that, the, uh, that statutory defenses are, are the sign of ignorance. Uh, it is not a modern solution. But I just want to point something out. Uh, you know, the Democratic Party is not apparatchniks. It is not uh, people who work professionally as Democrat consultants. It is the Democratic Party. It is the millions of people in this country. And it is completely baseless to suggest that the majority of the Democratic Party does not want a – sincerely want a real solution that's workable, fair, and moral – 
to the immigration problem. Well, here's the thing. We define moral and workable and fair in completely different ways. So so that all depends on who's doing the talking. And the people who say that they don't want a wall and they want a a real solution, a real effective solution, are the same people, and I've sat with them, with attorneys who say this, not you, but other attorneys, who have said that catch and release is the, the, the... the program that we need to have for the people coming in, that they don't even want the current system at all. They don't want points of entry. They want good old-fashioned catch and release. So the idea that it's all about the wall is not effective, that it's not the strongest border solution we can have. I'm sorry, it just smacks of disingenuousness But people say, build me an 18-foot wall, and they'll build an 18, 19-foot ladder. Well, sure, but I mean... Uh, unlike uh, my colleague over here, I, walls are actu- actually do have defensive value. Um, they, there's a reason that walls have been like the center port of defenses for millennia, right? It's, it, there's a thing that actually um, uh, is a strategic concept. I, the thing, though, is that the Republicans have a right to be skeptical of this grand deal on immigration because we got burned by it um, with Reagan, right? We, got, we were told we would give amnesty, and in, in return we would get stronger enforcement. Amnesty was given, and stronger enforcement never showed up. So if that's the deal that's being proposed, it's it's not going to be politically sellable. All right, we're going to find out. We're going to take a break. We will take your calls, 1-800-723-8289. I see the calls that are waiting for us. We'll talk to you when we get back. You're watching Beyond the Beltway. Stay with us. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida, so why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sip cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Welcome back to Beyond the Beltway. I'm WGN-TV's Paul Lisman in for Bruce Dumont. We've been talking about domestic issues. Well, let's turn to the international scene. The president caused quite a stir, uh, apparently with his own Pentagon uh, and others, when he announced that we are pulling troops from Syria uh, in, in a sort of immediate way. It seemed that that was the reason for uh, uh, Mad Dog Mattis, Jim Mattis, to give up his job as Secretary of Defense. Lots of fallout from that. Jennifer, was that not a smart move of the president to announce? And the policy. Um, you know, I'm... I'm torn on the policy. I am not a globalist. I am not for um, overseas intervention when we can avoid it. Um, I am nervous about ISIS regaining a stronghold in Syria. Well, the um, president says that he's eliminated. He's, well, he didn't say eliminated. I think he said they're, almost, they're virtually eliminated because he knows there's a little piece. There is a tiny, still a little piece. Um, there is, yeah. Yeah. Um, he does say that, obviously, as you've probably heard, that we are going to keep troops you know, in close proximity. I mean, we're over there anyway. We're going to keep an eye on it. Um, I do believe he is listening to military voices, not James Mattis, not some other people, but I know that he did not do this in isolation. He's got the support. 
support of people like Rand Paul and other people who um, have researched the issue and feel very strongly about our overseas involvement being overextended there. And so I have a wait-and-see attitude about it. Really. Right. Michael, g- give me your reflection of this policy, but put in a larger context, the way in which we're viewed by European nations and other countries around the world in terms of how the president's handling his foreign policy. Well, I think this is just typical of a feeling that the president is doing things by gut without checking with his military experts. Um, I, I think this is, is a totally irresponsible policy. Uh, I think this creates a vacuum in Syria that both Turkey and Iran will be able to take advantage of. Um, and Russia. And, and Russia, to our, to our dismay. Um, and, and, and before you throw this at me, let me say that when Obama announced he was pulling all troops out of Iraq, I was publicly saying that there was a fundamental mistake that Iraq was too unstable of a country, and that turned out to be accurate. And Syria is too unstable of a country, and our troops there are keeping an uneasy balance. Well, and one of the, the interesting things is that when um, we withdrew from Iraq, the um, what the terrorists there had actually lower strength than, than the, rem- the remnants of ISIS currently right. in Syria. Well, so Jeff, add, add on to that Afghanistan. The president also right. seemingly I has mean, announced a, a, a withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan. The thing about Syria has been that it is, I believe, the right policy, though it is unconstitutional, right, up until this point. I don't agree with the withdrawal. I think losing James Mattis is kind of a big blow to the Trump administration. It's one that I feel very uneasy about. Um, and I, the, thing, the challenge is that we're fighting an ideology that hates our civilization, right? right? And we have seen that when they have time and space to plan – that they do spectacular things, right? They're trying to right. kill as many people in, as me- in public ways as possible. I mean, Afghanistan was where the 9-11 attacks came f- were launched from, masterminded from. And by keeping um, adherence to this ideology on the run, with, even with small forces like what we've been doing in Syria, that is the right way to go. However... It requires congressional authorization because we are far past the deadline for the Which war. Which we policy. never had in Syria, by the way. Right. Um, the troops were there. It's well, we haven't had it in Somalia. We haven't had it in, in Mali. And we have troops in all these places. Well, Pat, some yeah, cases, let, me go to, let me go to Pat. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of the comments here. And I think there's a case to be made for pulling the troops out of Syria. But I, I, what, what disturbs me the most about this incident is the way he did it, the process, or I should say the lack of process, the lack of consultation with our allies, the lack of consultation with Congress. This is not a decision that should be made quickly, willy-nilly, or by gut. It does if, look if, impulsive. If there, is, if there is something there, he apparently didn't really consult with Mattis until he'd already made the decision. So that's what's most disturbing to me, because as bad or good as the pullout in Syria may turn out to be, it is terrifying to me that this is how the president is making decisions of this potential import, because I just wonder what will be the next big decision Jennifer, the Madison's acting replacement is going to be a, a person whose basic background is with the Boeing Corporation. He's a, he's a corporate executive. Right. His, uh, he's the second in command, but his background is not military. His background is not foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Do you have concerns? Do I have concerns? Well, you know, we've had a few people that have come into Trump's orbit that he's invited in that have turned out to be um, not good for Trump. So I have a wait-and-see attitude about that as well. I am not sorry to see James Mattis go. I was never happy to see him come in in the first place. I think, yes, I think he's a neocon of the first order. I think he's a globalist. He was at odds. I could name five policies. He was publicly at odds with Trump 
over, including the, tr the transgender and the military policy, paying for surgeries, um, many different policies concerning um, the Middle East. And so I was not sorry to see him go. Um, so no, it doesn't really concern me that he's leaving, and I welcome this new person coming in, and we will see in short order if he is more in simpatico with Trump's mindset. I mean, the thing is that this is not – the withdrawal is not ending the war. It's postponing it, right? If, if we actually withdraw in the way that's been described publicly by the president, all, we will be back in three years. And right, it will right, it will cost right. much more blood and treasure to leave and come back than than to keep the small forces that we have in concert with our Kurdish allies. And are we leaving the Kurd right? Are we leaving right? the Kurds to simply and, defend, and defend for themselves? Erdogan um, has already said that he's going to try and do whatever he can to hunt down every last remaining Kurd who is who have been indispensable in in the American effort in Syria. Michael, I'm just going to – because you fight hard for gay rights and related right, rights, right. I just want a quick response to Jennifer's point about transgender. I don't want to open up that Pandora's box. I'm using that box. as an example. I understand it's an example, but did you want to respond or let it go? I, I, I just want to tell you, I am in disbelief at the lack of understanding people have uh, at the identity issues people have who self-define as transgender. It is, it is, I've known a number of transgender people in my life. It is a very, very difficult issue. It is one that takes a great deal of struggle, um, mm -hmm. and I wish we were more compassionate as a country. Well, and I'd like them. to respond to that because that's really an important thing for me to lay out. The policy in question that Trump uh, was disagreeing with was the suggestion that the military was going to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars, which is what these procedures cost um, from start to finish, for people in the military to get sex reassignment surgeries. And that is something that can be exploited by people who want to join the military so that they have a way of getting this very, very expensive surgery that oftentimes insurance doesn't cover to take care of it. It wasn't a matter of somebody is already transgender, they've already crossed over, they've done their procedures, they're coming in and they want to serve in the military. Trump does not have an anti-gay policy in the military. It's a matter of expenditures for um, people saying that that surgery, and you may disagree with it, but saying that the military is not a place where we're going to spend that kind of money on that procedure. Okay. So that's where my... Um, Just one last comment. One last comment, it. and then I'm done. If you think someone who is already self-defining as transgender decides, I'm going to go enlist in the military because eventually I'm going to come out as transgender... And, and go through all the difficulties that that encompasses in order to have my sex reassignment surgery, I, I think you are highly mistaken from my I think it. I think it can happen. I'm being kind. That's all right. Me. And I, I, and I don't happen. mean to get into that, uh, that agenda topic, but, Pat, let me go to you and let me just switch countries here a little bit and bring up North Korea because the president and first president ever to meet with uh, Kim Jong-un, head of North Korea, um, lots of questions as to just how great our agreement has been. What do we expect in the North Korea relationship in 2019? I hope to God President Trump never thinks of North Korea again. I, I think everything he's done has been useless at best, if not counterproductive. It has sent the wrong message. Again, he's, he's, he's lurching out on these, these whims without consultation with our allies. He's not working together with the whole Congress, the whole government. He's just the president. He's not the whole government. And he didn't accomplish anything except potentially send a terrible message to the North Koreans that we've got a president that they can play for wonderful propaganda, which is what they got. They got a lot out of it. We got nothing. Jeff, I, I hear I Republicans really say Trump's in control. I hear Democrats say these guys, Kim Jong-un, Putin, they are playing this president. 
I mean, you know, he is certainly an unorthodox player from a foreign policy perspective. To say that we got nothing from North Korea is probably wrong, right? Um, they dismantled one of their um, nuclear testing sites. We got Otto Warmbier returned um, to his family. And now the, the condition in which Otto Warmbier was returned was something close to an act of war. That, I mean, and the fact that we haven't, I haven't seen anything done publicly about it is something that distresses me. Um, I think that North Korea has taken the, – the dealings with North Korea have taken a couple good steps and a couple questionable ones. Um, and because you notice the belligerency of North Korea has almost completely subsided, um, and they are not uh, – there, there were a number of, of Americans who were returned home, including Otto. There was a pastor, I believe, as well, um, who was returned home from a, from a political jail. That is not nothing. That is that is something significant because it has been the um, the North Korea's position to use Americans as bargaining chips in a similar way as the the Castro's I'm did. About continue our travel around the world, Jennifer, the the murder of the journalist Khashoggi, yes. uh, and our relationship with Saudi Arabia. Are, are you are you pleased with the way the president has handled that? It looks like all of Congress basically is is just completely blown away about what happened, but the president stands with the Saudis. Well, another unpopular opinion, I'm sure, at this table. I don't think it's really what that. What came to you? Yeah, I really don't think it's that big of a deal. It's really well, a shame. What is not a big of a deal? The death of Khashoggi? In this context. It was a horrible thing that the man was murdered. Horrible. And in the an way embassy. it was done in, in an embassy, and, yeah. and I'm sure that the Saudis were involved. It comes to light, and I believe that they were. But I don't think it's that big of a deal in that I don't think it should be steering our foreign policy and our relationship with Saudi Arabia. It is one person. It's not um, – I don't even – is he a citizen or not? No, he a he's a resident. He not a, a resident. citizen. A resident. Not a citizen. It does matter. Citizenship does matter. And we have many, many intersecting interests with Saudi Arabia. And to throw that overboard, I'm hearing Lindsey Graham and other GOPers say that we need to subordinate our policy and the things that we've gained with Saudi Arabia, the relationship we're trying to strengthen because of Khashoggi, I think is a big mistake. Michael, and I think it's get, overblown. Let's get a I would agree. Okay. This will shock you. I absolutely agree 100% with Jennifer. Yep. I mean, I, I recognize Khashoggi's murder is titillating because of the dismemberment of his body. That's and, why it, that's that it was really why it's so titillating. That it was done in the embassy. But let's keep problem. in mind, when Obama was president, he played prosecutor, judge, jury, yep. and executioner for a U.S. citizen living abroad who he decided and was a son. terrorist and, and ordered a drone to kill the guy. Pat, 10 seconds. I, I can't believe I'm hearing this. This this man was a had all constitutional rights. He was a citizen. What is the purpose of a relationship with Saudi Arabia if it's something that when they kill somebody who is a legal resident of our nation, we do nothing about it? And that's the question that will be debated. We'll be back to look at the race for 2020 in a moment. If you look hard enough, go off the beaten track far enough, you'll find an America teeming with the unusual, the odd, the downright strange. I'm Will Klinger, and I'm your guide on a package tour we like to call Wild Travels. Join us on our weekly road trip to see America's most offbeat and unusual attractions. Wild Travels, available on your local PBS station. Or it darn well should be. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live. 
the experience. For the first time ever, get an inside look at the making of SNL. Critics nationwide are raving over 500 artifacts direct from the show. Be a part of Wayne's World, Weekend Update, and so much more. Experience all it takes to put the show together. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications at 360 North State Street in Chicago. For tickets, visit museum.tv. We are back on Beyond the Beltway. I'm Paul Listick from WGN-TV in for Bruce Dubon tonight. We're going to take a look at the 2020 election. I wanted to make a list of all the Democrats who uh, might throw their hat in the ring. I found it easier to make a list of those who aren't going to throw their hat in the ring. But let's talk about this with Democrats Michael Bauer, Pat Cotter, Republicans Jennifer Nevins, and Jeff Halm. Michael Bauer, there was a poll done by Suffolk University, and basically, you know who came in first? In first place was 59%, somebody entirely new, somebody up and coming. That was number one. Second place place. Joe Biden. Right. Fascinating. (laughs) The furthest thing away from up and coming. What should the Democrats do? Um, I think you're going to have, frankly, 30 to 40 candidates who at least create exploratory committees. You're going to have a number of uh, senators, a number of congressmen, uh, several governors, several ex-governors, mayors. Um, who business knows people? Who a couple congressional representatives. Business people? Oh, business people. Wait, I saw Angela, Angelina Jolie's thinking about running for the Democratic nomination. We can only hope. Howard Schultz from Starbucks. Michael you know, Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg. Right. You know, so I, I think this is going to thrash itself out. I will tell you two things that I expect I can bet on. One, some people talk about Michelle Obama, that she should run. I assure you, Michelle Obama hates politics. She hates the cocoon of elective office. She is, to me, a brilliant person who's smart enough to say, I ain't going to do this. Number two, people are saying the dream ticket is uh, Joe Biden and Beto O'Rourke. Well, if you think the dream ticket for Democrats are two white heterosexual men, you're you're not understanding the Democratic Party. Well, let me throw one more at you. Pat, I'll come to you with this. The other dream ticket people sometimes talk about is Joe Biden with uh, Kamala Harris out of California. That That gives you the diversity, perhaps. Yeah. What do you think? I think we should learn a lesson from Mr. Trump. We should stop putting up members of the establishment who ran for office before our big base voters were born. Uh, we did that. She was called Hillary. It didn't work mm-hmm. out. I think we need to pick somebody. We need to pick a side. And we need to have issues. And we need to have somebody who can credibly argue our issues. And it shouldn't be somebody who's been arguing other issues for the last 30 years. We should have a new person. We should have somebody who's running hard on the issues. And we should not go back. And we should recognize what Trump taught us, which is you don't have to be an old gray hair from Washington to get elected. You just have to be able to appeal to your base and to enough people in the middle to win. Jennifer, the president would love it to be Elizabeth Warren. (laughs) He would love it to be Elizabeth Warren, um, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton. Um, I don't know if he'd want it to be uh, Bernie Sanders. I don't think it's going to be. Um, I think that if the Democrats were smart, if I were advising them, I would say take a page, similar to what you're saying, take a page out of Trump's playbook, and, and uh, but part of that is broadening your appeal. You know, I know the party's moved hard left. There's no question right. that it has. Um, that isn't going to play everywhere. It didn't play in Michigan very well, didn't play in Wisconsin, as it turns out, um, in, some, in Pennsylvania and some of those areas. And so the trick becomes how do we appeal to everyone? There is a way kind of to do that, um, and they're, they better learn it. Um, and if they don't, it's going to be a repeat for them, which I'm hoping in 2020. Jeff, some would, I, I'm curious, people like Beto O'Rourke, for example, some have looked at him and said, you know, there's the Obama factor. Not in, exa- not in the same way, but there's the young, good-looking, uh, 
somewhat charismatic kind of guy. Uh, that's what they need to return to. If you were advising Democrats, what would you say? I'd say I don't understand Beto O'Rourke, right, or Robert Francis O'Rourke, rather. Right. Um, you know, uh, he he was a candidate for Senate against somebody that the Democrats really dislike, Ted Cruz. Actually, many some Republicans, some of the Republicans, some Republicans dislike Republicans, the guy. Yeah, right. Uh, really like dislike Ted Cruz, and the media kind of did what they did with Wendy Davis and and said, okay, this is it's totally going to happen, right? Right. right. And so right. now he's somehow a thing when all he has is being like a backbencher congressional uh, representative from I think the El Paso district. Um, I don't. I don't get Beto. There's there's some stuff that's going on. There's some internecine warfare between the Bernie part of the the the, the um, Democrat side and the Beto side. There's actually a lot of animosity there. I I think that if there's too much infighting there, um, someone's going to skate through. Kind of typically or s- similarly to how Trump did. I mean, everybody was going after Rubio in the Republican primary and Jeb. And Trump was just along, and, and in a, a crowded field that you know that size, all you have to do is pick off 10, 15 percent of the electorate, right. and that's enough to be more than everybody else. I mean, if I were advising the Democrats, I would say bring back the smoke-filled room, right? A, like a primary where everybody and their brother throws in um, a you know a bid is insane, and, and we just live. And guys, it. let me ask you: and, and if they did do that, anything like that? Is it time then for a woman? Hillary wasn't the right one, obviously, but a, a, an Amy Klobuchar, a, Kirst, a, a Kirsten Gillibrand, a Kamala Harris. Is it time? Well, it may be time. Gillibrand, I think, has hurt herself badly yes. in the Republican Party because of her attack on uh, uh, Al Franken and driving him out of the Senate. I think that that is something that many Democrats, men and women, will never forgive Gillibrand for. Um, Klobuchar, I think, is incredibly smart, whether she has the moxie to be able to connect that well. You know, who knows? I want to suggest a name that's never talked about, though, and, and not for president, but as a vice presidential candidate, Stacey Abrams, who ran a very close race for governor of Georgia. She is someone who connects unbelievably well. She's got charisma. She's an African-American woman from the South. Think about all she would bring to a national ticket. Pat? Well, I think, think? I think I, it's important to recognize that the Democrats just won. Uh, a big election, and they did it running on issues like health care. They did it by talking about a uh, e- uh, ecology New Deal. Uh, I think we've got good issues, and I think we ought to get out of this habit of having these sort of beauty contests where we, we see Beto, and it, it matters that he's handsome. Right. Well, isn't that lovely? Um, I, I think what we ought to be thinking about is who is smart enough, experienced enough, right. and is new enough so that they're not carrying all the baggage of Hillary and Joe and Bernie and all those guys who should get behind this person and say, look, this is about ideas. This is about the way forward for this country. Jennifer, last word. I think that the Democrat Party is at war with itself, but it's not the moderates against the progressives. It's actually progressive versus progressive. And I think that I while say. they did very well in the House, those are House races. That is, they didn't do so well in the Senate. And it wasn't a national race. And I think in 2020, what we're going to see, it's going to be really interesting to see how this shakes out because they've kind of got to get themselves together to figure out which way they're going to go. It's going to be fascinating to watch 2019 first before yes. we even yes. get to 2020. Yes. My thanks to Michael Bauer, Pat Cotter, Jennifer Nevins, Jeff Holm. Thank you all for coming in tonight, for sharing your thoughts. Greatly appreciated. Beyond the Beltway is a Genemy production. It's produced in association with WCGO Radio. I want to thank Sam Greenberg, Fritz Goldman, Dan Dorfman for their assistance in getting this program on the air. My thanks to Bruce Dumont for inviting me to take his host chair for the evening. And for right now, happy 2019, everybody, and good night from Chicago.
If you look hard enough, go off the beaten track far enough, you'll find an America teeming with the unusual, the odd, the downright strange. I'm Will Klinger, and I'm your guide on a package tour we like to call Wild Travels. Join us on our weekly road trip to see America's most offbeat and unusual attractions. Wild Travels, available on your local PBS station. Or it darn well should be. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live. The experience. For the first time ever, get an inside look at the making of SNL. Critics nationwide are raving over 500 artifacts direct from the show. Be a part of Wayne's World, Weekend Update, and so much more. Experience all it takes to put the show together. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications at 360 North State Street in Chicago. For tickets, visit museum.tv. Everyone loves vacationing in Florida. So why not experience it as it was meant to be? Where turquoise gulf waters meet tranquil island beaches. Feel the powder-soft sand between your toes. Revel in a glorious island sunset. Shop the boutiques of a seaside village. Ride horseback along tranquil waters. This is Bradenton Anna Maria Island Longboat Key. Real, authentic Florida, where you can discover an intimate downtown and sit cappuccino at a sidewalk cafe. Catch fresh fish for dinner. Even tour a working winery. Just minutes from all the rest Florida has to offer. Bradenton, Anna Maria Island, Longboat Key. Plan your visit online at BradentonGulfIslands.com. That's BradentonGulfIslands.com. Are you headed to Los Angeles looking for the ideal place for you and your family to relax and enjoy yourselves? A place that combines a four-diamond hotel experience with a convenient location? It's the Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. Just steps away from Universal Studios Hollywood, CityWalk, and NBC Studios. Just a short ride to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, TCL Chinese Theater, Warner Brothers, and other popular attractions. Enjoy spacious rooms offering breathtaking views and a world-class Las Vegas-style seafood and prime rib buffet every weekend and holidays. Share family fun and enjoy the oasis of the palm tree-lined pool and whirlpool. Relax in your own private poolside cabana with a cocktail or snack at your fingertips. Book your reservation today at HiltonUniversal.com or call 1-800-774-1500. The Hilton Los Angeles Universal City. At HiltonUniversal.com, they let you be the star in Hollywood. <laughs> 